Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200, that's right, 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. We are the Borg, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. From the secret pod fleet command tasting room at an unnamed French winery. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, one and all, and welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and it's great to have you here with us. Uh, you may have noticed we were live last week. We are not this week. <laughs> it was such a great time doing the live show last week, and we hope everybody who had a chance to attend or listen enjoyed the uh, the version of Say Something Nice that we did. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. You know, for those of you who've seen season one of Star Trek Picard, um, you, you're aware of this event. Uh, for those of you who've not, spoiler alert, I'll give you three seconds before I start talking about it, but three, two... One, there's a scene where all these dormant Borg are sucked out into space. And in my dreams, Dan Davidson is one of those Borg being sucked out into the cold vacuum of nothingness, much like what exists in his brain. He's the largely uh, automatonic-like Dan Davidson. Dan, resistance is futile, baby. Baby? (laughs) Whoa. That's like the nighttime version of the Borg, I think. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for that wonderful introduction. Borg After Dark. And it was a wonderful introduction. Wonderful. That was a, that was quite the scene, too, by the way. Very it, was, it was amazing. We're going to talk. I was like, oh, my God. Like what? I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Becky. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about a lot of Star Trek Picard goings on this particular week. Um, and I think our episode is actually about Star Trek Picard Season 1, Dan. What? Actually, oh, my God, Bill, for once... You are right. I know. I know. It's it's the Picard season one wrap up extravaganza. You one might call it. No, that was on Picard Live. Oh. We're just talking about Picard season one. Oh, all right. I knew. Yeah. I, I knew. I saw that somewhere. I saw, I saw it in a memo. You did. Was, <laughs> you did. It crossed your desk. <laughs> yeah. It came up it from the uh, steno pool. Unfortunately, and, uh, I couldn't be part of that uh, amazing. Um, broadcast that you guys did uh on sunday night i was very under the weather and you and dan garcia and of course barry did a fantastic job well barry did a fantastic job garcia and i just you know 
Dan, what, 0.5, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you have Barry DeFord behind a microphone, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to, to 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 sound as smart as Barry DeFord. <laughs> oh, that's true. How does the internet do? Uh, great. It was rock nice. solid. Excellent. Very good. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway, enough of that. Back to this. Yes, we're going to talk Picard, season one. We are. This is a, it, it's fun for us. You and I actually didn't do any podcasting during the season, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but we're going to, there's so many people have asked us to talk about our thoughts on Star Trek Picard that we thought we'd dedicate an episode to it. So, sure. uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. In the interim, uh, Mr. Bespectacled Dan Davidson, would you please tell people how they can get in touch with us with their thoughts on Picard Season 1? I'd be very happy to, sir. If you're looking to get in touch with us, folks, you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you will find a multitude of ways to communicate with us. There's Skype chat, there's email, there's even voicemail by way of that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, make it so, because we love hearing from you. Plus, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. It's called Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where over 1,600 other friends gather to talk Trek. It is always positive, with no bashing or gatekeeping ever allowed. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. Also, <clears throat> please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill, back to your secret rhinery, Tasty Placey. I'm sorry, Tasty Placey? What What the hell is that? It's a Tasty Placey. Hashtag Tasty Placey? <laughs> um, yes, sir. I don't know what to do with this information. Uh, I, I do know what to do with this information. Dan, we do want to let people know that uh, anyone interested in going to Trek Geeks uh, Live, yes. I almost said Picard Live, but Trek yeah. Geeks Live, Sunday, October 25th at the Bank of New Hampshire stage in downtown Concord, New Hampshire, our first live show on stage. Wow. Uh, tickets have now resumed sales on the Bank of New Hampshire stage website. So you can buy them online again. Um, so that is great news. And of course, proceeds from the evening are going to benefit Granite State Dog Recovery, uh, the all-volunteer 501c3 organization that uh, helps reunite families and dogs. I have a question. I can't wait. Do you wait. think that they would let us have like a Gallagher zone where we could like have people have like plastic and we could like smash watermelons? You clearly have not looked at the memos that are in your inbox still. I will check them out as soon as we're done recording. Well, buddy, last week... As you may remember, I mean, you were there after all. Allegedly. Allegedly. We had a blast premiering two brand new pins from fan sets. And we actually even gave away a couple of sets of pins to two lucky listeners. And well, now everybody on the planet can get their hands on these new instant classics. Right. You are, Bill. And that's right, folks. Today, as this episode drops in your podcast feeds all over Terra Prime, not one, but two 
gorgeous new pins are available at fansets.com. The first is the Mako emblem, which was from Star Trek Enterprise and is absolutely beautiful. The second is the Voyager 25th anniversary commemorative pin, which we premiered last week. And this one is really something special. The detail on this pin is just amazing. Inscribed within the lettering of Star Trek Voyager is the actual schematic of everyone's favorite Intrepid class starship. Just another example of the dedication and love that everyone at Fansets has for the products that they make. Also, don't forget that the crew is hard at work on the Voyager Collector Set, which is scheduled for release at STLV this year. We gave you a sneak peek last week on the live stream, and then you can head on over to all of Fansets' social media pages if you want to see that artwork right now. It's gorgeous. It will retail for the incredible price of $179. It's a bargain, and in my opinion, it may be the best design collector set they have created so far, man. I, I don't disagree at all. When I first got a look at the artwork, I thought it was I, I thought it was perfection. It was exactly what I hoped it would be. Um, and it is really incredible to look at. I'm not going to lie. So we get to look forward to that this coming summer. But let's talk today. If you want to receive an amazing 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, fill up your cart, and at checkout, enter the Trek Geeks exclusive discount code ENGAGE. That's E-N-G-A-G-E in all capital letters. This bonus code will be available to use until Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. Young Daniel, we gather to discuss um, season one of the most recently televised Star Trek. And it's rare that you and I get to say that because we haven't been talking about it from week to week. This is the first new Trek series that we got to watch just as fans and not as podcasters every yeah. week. So how did that change your perception of the show or did it? Um. I don't know if it changed my perception of the show. I just know that it was a hell of a lot more enjoyable to watch it. And I don't mean that in any negative way towards Discovery or any of the other things that we've ever talked about. It was relaxing to be able to watch it and not be taking notes and not be thinking about what I want to talk about and what things I want to bring up on the podcast. It was it, it was something new, to be quite honest, for me because... Since we've been podcasting, any new thing we've been talking about on one show or another. So this is really the first time that we've been able to sit back and really relax. And for me, it was a breath of fresh air. And I don't, and again, I don't mean that in any bad way towards right. any of the other stuff we do. Do you find that you watched it as critically as you do some of the other shows? Not at all. Um, I was very non-critical about it, I think. And it may be because I loved it so much, or mm -hmm. maybe it was because I wasn't looking at it under a microscope because we were doing stuff for the podcast. Um, I found it very refreshing uh, to be able to look at it with that um, innocent eye or, or non-podcast eye. I don't know what way to describe it, but I think not having the um, responsibility to bring our thoughts and our positive and negative aspects of what we think about a particular episode was really quite um, 
a lift off my shoulders, I guess you could say. Sure, sure. Yeah. I have to agree with you on some level. Um, I think it changed my perception of the show in the sense where I was at a point where I could just enjoy Star Trek again yeah. and not necessarily work to dissect it on starting with, with the immediate viewing. You know, I could wait till my second or third or sometimes fourth rewatch to determine how I felt about it or, you know, to, to dissect the scenes as they were occurring. I could just watch it as a fan and be a fan. And that was really kind of liberating. Um, I, I still think I watched it as critically, just not as, uh, just not from the very first watch. Like I wasn't taking notes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would have to for discovery right. because, you know, we do discovering Trek and, sure. and it's pretty much within the 24 to 48 hours or within 48 hours of, yep. of discovery dropping. So, um, it was a joy, but yet it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Cause like you said, I mean, I remember when we were the first, first few episodes, I really stand out in my mind with discovery. I would be sitting there like scribbling like the whole time i had to like the book right up front and i'm like looking over the book as i'm writing stuff i remember vividly doing that in the living room in yarmouth um and then i remember taking notes when i was watching it in nashua when i was down here and sue was still up in yarmouth and she was watching it and we were watching it at the same time and texting each other as i'm taking notes. yeah it's it's much um it's much less stressful i will say that because you're right you get to sit back and you get to enjoy it and really soak it in Whereas before you had to soak it in at a different level and it might not have, it, at least for me, it might always, might not have always met the same. I can respect that greatly. I, um, I, it was nice that we had that ability with season one. I intend to do the same thing for season two, especially since we do have such a great host for Picard yes. live, um, where we don't necessarily have to break it down every week, mm-hmm. but still in my own brain, it was fun to break it down every week. Um, there was a part of me that missed talking about it. Um, simply because we, all you and I do is talk about Star Trek. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, so I did miss it a little bit, but it, it didn't take away from my enjoyment as a fan. I can definitely agree with that because there were some things that I would think about and be like, oh, I God, I'd love to bring this up. Something yeah. that really irked me or something that I really loved and did not have that opportunity. Um, I could have if I just went on the show being a producer of it or, or you know, part of the you know ownership of the network. I could have just jumped in on Barry and said, hey, I want to talk about this, but I wouldn't do that to him. <laughs> no, never. No, not a, no, never. <laughs> so, so let's time travel back to the announcement of oh. uh, of Star Trek Picard yeah. uh, at Star Trek Las Vegas before it was called Star Trek Picard, and we're sitting there in the room. We've gotten a heads up that we should be in the theater for a big surprise announcement. Mm-hmm. We were there, and then Alex Kurtzman comes out, talks for about fifteen seconds, and then says, "Well, I got a friend who's going to talk about this." And Patrick Stewart comes out, and you and I were just leveled. I L- truly leveled. Never have heard the, you know, I've only been to a few STLVs. I've never heard a reaction like that when he walked out until he said, Jean-Luc Picard is back. And then the place was 10 times louder than it was when he walked out. That is one of those, I will never forget moments. I can, we were sitting in the front row of like the fifth section. So we had a lot of space in front of us. We had the big monitor right up to our, just slightly to our right. And we could see the stage at a distance. You just, you won't, I don't, I won't forget it. We both started screaming when he walked out through those doors. We both had tears in our eyes as yep. he was saying Picard was back. And, and this is keeping in mind that 
neither of us really count next gen as our Star Trek necessarily. Um, we, we, we like it. We love it. We love Patrick Stewart, but it, we didn't necessarily have the kind of emotional bond that we have to say deep space nine. Right. And I think we were both surprised that everybody else in the room felt pretty much the same way. <laughs> it was, oh my gosh, it was, it was bigger than the announcement that Trek was returning with the 2009 reboot. It yeah. was bigger than when they announced discovery was coming to TV having someone like Sir Patrick Stewart at the place where it should be announced. And I'm not trying to dig San Diego Comic-Con, but I'm sorry. An announcement like that has to be made at the Star Trek convention, which is STLV. So to make it happen there by him really meant something, not only to fans, but it also showed that they were serious about it. Yeah, it had to happen in front of the home team. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, so as they, they started revealing the concept, even starting that first day where it was essentially the next chapter of Picard's life mm-hmm. and that it wasn't a continuation of Star Trek The Next Generation, how did you feel about that I was before, actually, before you knew anything? I was actually glad. We knew, I think, I believe it was that day that we knew that it was going to be the same amount of time had passed from when we last saw Picard and Nemesis as the amount of time that has passed in real life, 20 something years. So it's, it's, it's in the future from when we last saw Picard and I was glad they were going to do it that way. I didn't want them to do some kind of weird thing. I mean, Patrick's getting up there in age and I thought it would be really hard to do something where it wasn't where he's really the age that he's at now. Um, I believe they also said at that moment that it was going to be a darker, um, show if i remember correctly i could be i could be melding some dates together but i was very excited at that point when we saw him do the announcement talking about it and how excited he was and that they really had to talk him into it but when he saw the writing he knew it was something he had to do i was all in i don't care what the storyline was going to be because we're getting this guy who was a legend not only in star trek but in 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 theater and in and on in movies and stuff saying that he's on board with this project it's not like that they were going to, you know, cheap ass it and do something stupid. It was going to be full steam ahead. Well, and I think that that was evident from the writing team that they assembled right off the get-go. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Kirsten Beyer in there. You have a Pulitzer Prize winner, Michael Shabon. Yeah. Um, you have Akiva Goldsman, even though I'm not a big fan of Akiva Goldsman's writing, um, who who has an Oscar mm-hmm. um, for a beautiful mind, which doesn't actually have a whole lot of dialogue, but that's just me. Um, it, it, it clearly they assembled a team that understood Star Trek. Yes. And I think that probably was the most impressive thing. And certainly the pedigree of those writers was enough to make Patrick Stewart sit up and listen. And, and I gotta say, we're going to get into details, but Oh my God, the writing I, I, I got every Shabon episode was just so unbelievable. And he wrote eight out of 10 of them or co-wrote eight out of 10 of them. Fantastic. Oh my God. You just can't say enough about the, the, the power that they brought in to do this. Um, it was, it was on a level that I've never seen before. It really was. And, and I think it showed in what this first season was. The, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I shake my head at the people who say that there was weak writing this season or that it didn't seem like Star Trek because, um, it absolutely did in tone and quality and, in in every aspect, um, you know, I, I think that weak writing is a, is a lazy criticism to start with. Uh, but 
even just tonally, that was Jean-Luc Picard. It doesn't get more Star Trek than that. I think at this point, any of the people that are going to be out there spouting from the rooftop that it's not Star Trek, that it's bad writing, are at the point now that they're just going to do that just because they can. They want to be vocal. They want to be a-holes about it. And it's just, it's, it's completely not true. It's, if you sit and watch it with an open mind, and believe me, there are parts that I didn't like that happened. I'm sure. not afraid to say there's parts that I didn't like. The problem is these idiots are afraid to say things that they did like. There's a huge difference between those two things. And that's why I have such a problem with these doomcocks and these other whack jobs that are out there just spouting rumors and all the negativity about it that they don't have any they don't have any proof about the things that they say are happening they just do it to be negative so i've kind of just pushed those off the side i don't even you know acknowledge them anymore even though i'm talking about them right now it's just to prove prove the point Right, right right that you can you can dislike something and still appreciate it you don't have to be a jerk face about it jerk face well and look at Star Trek The Next Generation, it was pretty much reviled exactly. when it came out. Yep. People thought it was horrible, including yep. you and me. Yep. And, you know, a season one, let's be honest, folks, not great. There are some there are some really good episodes in season one. But overall, season one is incredibly uneven and just not great television. Encounter at Farpoint is so uncomfortable to yeah, watch. It is. There's echoing sound stages like in the in the uh when they're in the engine room, it's that you don't hear the hum of the en- engine. It's just it's it's uncomfortable to watch. And yeah, we both went in into it with kind of negative connotations about it because, as everybody said, it's not Kirk, it's not Spock. Yep. Doesn't have Kirk and Spock, it doesn't have me. And yep. ultimately, we were wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time, well before 1994 when it went off the air, um, we were both all in on Star Trek The Next Generation, and rightfully so, because yep. it became a damn great show. I think Star Trek Picard starts off as a damn great show, and we're going to talk about some of those reasons tonight. And let's start off with characters. Um, you and I had the great good fortune of attending the premiere in Hollywood for Star yes. Trek Picard, and we got to see the first three episodes, which kind of serve as its own sort of um, first chapter of the story, if you will. Mm-hmm. And two of the characters that we saw right off the bat were two Romulans named Laris and Jaban, and I, I think I know your feelings about these two characters, but I have to say I loved these two characters and what they meant, what they added to not only Picard the series, but to Picard the man. Hands down, my two favorite characters in the entire series. Really? Yep. I absolutely, I was, one of my criticisms, since we just talked about things I might not yeah. like, is that we didn't see them again. I loved those two characters. I thought they were perfect for Picard. I thought that they cared for him and it showed they were willing to put their lives on the line for him and they were acted beautifully. I absolutely love those two characters. Can't say that enough. Well, okay then. That's high praise. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the the realism they brought to Picard and he's like, yeah, I'm going to go back out into space again. And they're like, are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> yes, are you, are was, you crazy? She was treating him like a little kid. <laughs> as you would have thought that she was his ex-wife or something with how much she was hounding him my word she was great that she was snappy like when uh, they had the uh the the uh zadvash agent and and uh uh said something and she goes that's because he's one of those stubborn northerners (laughs) and slaps him on the forehead it's just it's just awesome (laughs) i 
I thought that they served a, a definite purpose in helping to define who Picard was when we re-encountered him again at the beginning of Star Trek mm-hmm. Picard. I think that their role was critical in helping lay that groundwork. Yeah. You see that this is not the man that we watched, you know, on, on the bridge of a starship for years broken. and years. He's he's broken. As he says himself, he went home to die. Yep. And he wasn't living. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that they knew that all along, but they were content to um, to be there for him and help him because that was what he needed. And ultimately, it was what they needed, I think. Absolutely. Um, there were so many aspects of those first... See, I think, I think the first three episodes, as we saw with Discovery with the first two episodes, the first three were the prequel to the series, mm-hmm. I think. It gave you the kind of backstory as to what we could expect. We could, we saw that Picard was broken. He was ready. He was he went home to die. He didn't feel comfortable there. He's been there for 20, well, not 20 years, 12 years, 14 years, however long it was since he resigned. Um, and he's really not comfortable in his own home even though he's got his dog and he's got uh, Larison and Javon. But we get that backfill of what we need. He's been mourning the loss of data ever since Nemesis. And it has it, it really is a, a, a shadow over his life since it happened. And I think the way that they set this up was, was really brilliant. I have to agree with that. The other brilliant thing that I, I really appreciated was introducing Dodge so early on. Mm-hmm. Um, Issa Briones plays a variety of roles throughout this first season, but I have to say, I, I think I liked Dodge uh, among the, uh, the most out of most of the characters, um, simply because there was a, there wasn't a vulnerability at the start with Dodge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's what led Picard to make the decision that he had to make. He watched her vaporize pretty much in front of his eyes and he knew that there was something he still had to do and that he actually had to get off his ass and do it. And what I thought was great about the character of Dodge is, is coming up to the premiere of Picard, Issa Briones was touted as Dodge. So we figured this is going to be the character that she's going to play in Mm -hmm. this first season. And she gets vaporized, like you said, in what was it? Episode two? Something like that. One, yeah. One of the first ones. I mean, one of the, one of those first three. They all run together at this point. Um, <laughs> what's going on here? Little did we know what was going to happen. And it was, it was pretty quick when we found out about Soji and so forth. But, but yeah, I really do agree with you in that she had this innocence and this vulnerability about her. But man, when, when her defense mode kicked in, in that apartment in Boston, yay, Boston, whoever thought of putting Boston in Star Trek. Thank you. Um, that was that was great to see. Also, I mean, she's got the she's got the vulnerability, and then she's in full kick ass mode, and it was a sight to behold. It's nice to see a different city, in uh, in in the future, and that Boston's still there. Um, although there's no way there would have been a London King sign flying in Beantown, home of the Boston Red Sox. I'm sorry, that just maybe they were visiting. Uh, no, uh, there's no visiting team that gets a sign that big on the skyline. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay. It's Boston. <laughs> the Red Sox fan and you should know that's a bunch of BS right there. Yep. Um, I, I appreciated what Dodge meant for propelling the story forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it showed us that Picard knew that he had some things he had to resolve for him, not only for himself, but for others. Right. And I think that that was, was pretty much key. He didn't anticipate leaving Starfleet. They called his bluff. Yeah. You yeah. know, he he essentially ran a gambit and he put it on the table and said, oh, if this is what Starfleet's going to be, then I resign. 
I'll, I, I offer. Think, I will offer my resignation. They said, okay. Yep. I honestly think, and and I'm, this is not a criticism. It's Picard. He's got an ego. He is. He, he does. Has saved. He saved the universe. So he's probably going to be like, I'm Jean Luc Picard. They're not going to do this to me. And they did it to and him. And they did. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Rightfully so. Yeah. Well, Picard has an interesting meeting with Admiral Clancy, who's the CNC of Starfleet. Essentially, <laughs> the, the top dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very contentious meeting. Yeah. And it, she essentially confirms um, the sheer bleepity hubris of it all because Picard kind of walks in there with a lot of hubris thinking, oh, well, you know, you could just reduce me in rank to captain and you could just yeah. give me a small fleet and yeah. and that would be okay, I guess. Right. He really does have stones the size of, uh, of of North America to walk into her office and say that. But at the same time, um, to play devil's advocate, he deserves to be able to do that after what he has done for Starfleet in his career. Taking away the whole resignation thing and Call my bluff, which they did. I gotta say, Clancy at first, I you know me, you, you and I, when we're not recording for this podcast, we're we we are trucker mouths. I mean, mm-hmm. we swear all the time. There were times in this series where I thought that the dropping of the F bomb was a little forced. I'm not talking about the first time with Clancy, but I am talking about the next time when she does it with him when she's a hologram in his yeah. in his hologram. Um, Clancy, I don't know how to feel about Clancy. I kind of liked that she, she also had the stones the size of North America to stand up to this guy. It's gotta, it's gotta be like, you know, you going up to a world famous person and trying to, you know, talk down to them. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. This is Jean-Luc Picard. We don't know what this Clancy person has been like in her career, but she had no problem standing up against him and saying, no, go home, old man. Well, consider it just, you know, the day before or, or a couple of days before he was on a, a news broadcast saying that Starfleet wasn't Starfleet anymore. So it was no longer Starfleet. I mean, he, uh, he had the gall to go in there and ask for something after that. Yeah. And I, I think she was right to cut him down, quite frankly, yeah. because you were right. Um, yeah, I'm uh, Jean-Luc Picard. It's kind of like Roger Moore in the Cannonball Run. i'm I'm roger moore who cut roger moore and that's essentially (laughs) what jean-luc picard was doing i'm jean-luc picard uh i'm sorry uh spell that for me uh p-i-c-a ard um i i appreciated the fact that it wasn't an easy thing for Picard and that he didn't get the result he wanted. Mm-hmm. The, res- the result he thought Jean-Luc Picard would, would achieve. Right. It didn't happen. And I think right. that that was important in informing us as to who Picard was. He is used to getting what he wants. He is, but he's also always used to doing the right thing. thing. And he's failed numerous individuals in the course of the history before this series, one of whom is Rafi Musiker. Um, probably his greatest failure uh, in essentially leaving somebody behind. Um, Not realistically, because I mean, she was on earth, but she fell into a spiral and never once did he check on her. The way that they showed this relationship and how it ended was really one of the low points of my respect for Jean-Luc Picard ever since Next Generation started. This guy has been with Rafi, and especially if you're reading the novel, about how their relationship has formed. And he resigns. She gets called to the CNC's officer and says, oh, great, 
you resign and my ass gets fired. And that's the last time he talks to her until he needs her help 14 years later. Yep. That's complete BS. And that's not what a friend is. And I could not believe that he did that to her. It's very unpicard like. Yeah. And that's what tells me that, you know, he himself was in a spiral mm-hmm. and maybe couldn't help her, but still, um, he could have at least checked yeah, in yeah. on her. Because he had that responsibility, Um, just as a human, not even as, you know, a a commanding officer, because she was under his command at the time, Um, you know, aboard the, um, oh God, I can't, the the Verity. Verity, Um, That's the the name of the ship in the the book and also in the the prequel comic. But just as a human being, knowing that um, it was leaving her in a bad spot, all he had to do was give her a call and say, Rafi, are you okay? And, you know, he may have been going in a, he may have been spiraling. She certainly spiraled after the fact. She lost her family. Hard. She became an addict. She became an alcoholic. She lived out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and she was on rough times. And we'll get into those rough times later when we talk about different things about the series. But, yeah, that that was a surprise to me how he was with her uh, in, in not being with her. That was, that was a shocker. It's like I people have asked me, well, do you really think that, you know, Picard failed people? I do. I think he failed Rafi. I think he failed the Romulans because he said, um, you know, we're going to help you. We're going to save you. Um, and he meant it. And then nothing ever happened afterwards. Yeah. Uh, no follow up. He feels like he failed them. And that's really what matters. Yeah. He went can- home with that guilt and that shame and went home to die and was content to live with that for the rest of his days instead of being Jean-Luc Picard. And then he saw how the Romulans felt about him when he showed up at the planet where Elnor was and the Romulans were like, oh, it's it's Picard. And they were going to kill him. Um, I think that was eye-opening for him as well. Agreed. Well, then, you know, we essentially get a, a ragtag crew, if you will, um, aboard the La Serena um, you know, Rafi enlists the help of, of Rios. Agnes Gerardi uh, becomes part of the brigade, if you will. <laughs> um, they pick up Elnor along the way. Um, and, and it becomes quite the interesting assortment of characters. Yes. Um, I think Rios is a most fascinating guy simply because, well, he is so layered. There's a lot there. I mean, if you, you take out all the holograms, you know, which are, are various you know, uh, stand-ins for, for aspects of him. Just Rios himself, he's a very deep and thoughtful guy and does not strike me as the Han Solo type, even though this is the role he's relegated himself to. I don't, I've never really thought of him as a Han Solo, Han Solo, however, I always say it wrong, um, character that he's kind of portrayed to be. He is so interesting a character. This may shock people and people may disagree with this. He could have his own series. I, I thought he was fantastic. I loved every scene with him. I thought he was great. He was funny. He was emotional, uh, brilliantly acted. Um, and I was, I was really, really glad um, that, that this character had as much, quote, screen time as he did. He was almost kind of like third, if you wanted to say, you know, in, ter- in terms of Im- importance of characters in the show behind uh, Picard and, and Soji, maybe. Uh, I-, I really liked him. Elnor, I think, had way too little to do. Um, I don't think he had enough. 
I don't think he had enough lines. I, I was kind of disappointed in how Elnor was kind of a non-factor through quite a bit of the series. And um, Girardi, I liked at first and then really disliked. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then liked again. So I, you know, it was a roller coaster for her. Well, let's go back to Elnor for a second. I'm really not bothered by the fact that he didn't have a bunch to do because not everybody in TNG season one had a bunch oh, to do. Yep. You know, look at Tasha Yar, for God's sake. Most of the season, she says hailing frequencies open, sir. Oh, now they're going to kill Elnor? Is that what you're saying? No, no I'm just, I'm talking <laughs> about the the yes. fact that, you know, yeah. we didn't even know as much about Troy as we know about Elnor at this point. True. Oh, that's true. And we had a lot fewer episodes right. of Elnor. Yeah. Um, plus, uh, there's going to be more. Yeah, I, I hear that you know, it's like, well, Elnor had nothing to do from a lot of people. It's like, guys, it's, it's season one. It's only 10 episodes. Yeah. Next Gen had 26 episodes per season. Um, take a breath. Choose it's okay. Huh. Yeah. Dan, choose to, choose to think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Girardi. So that's interesting to me that you had that reaction, that you liked her at first, but then didn't. I'm kind of the opposite way. <laughs> interesting. I I didn't like her at first. Um, and then she actually turned out to be a character I, I actually kind of appreciate, um, especially after the book. Here's here's where here's what happened with me. I thought she was she was geeky like us when we were introduced to her. She had that meeting with Commodore O that we didn't see at first. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she showed up. And everybody watching the show, Sue, my sister Donna, my brother-in-law Chris, we all look at each other and goes, she's been compromised. She's going to do something that's going to be really bad. And then she killed Maddox. And I was like seething. So much so that we kept saying her eyes are too close to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. But then then she, she quote, quote, unquote, redeemed herself. Um, and I, and I grew to like her the last few episodes. Um, but yeah, the whole Maddox thing that, that really just was like an, oh my God, you should be put out an airlock. See, I didn't really have that response to it. Um, I figured that I, I figured there had to be a reason that wasn't good that she was there. Um, I also figured that Maddox was going to have to die if they found him. Because they just weren't going to keep that character on, um, you know, not, not and pay Melinda Snodgrass a royalty every time they use him. <laughs> um, but I just, I didn't see a reason for Maddox to stay alive in the story. Yeah. Um, it didn't bother me that. Well, let me interrupt with you. That, that's fine. I totally yeah. agree with that. I thought it was really bad for someone who loved him to kill him based solely on the fact of a meeting that she had with Commodore O, which showed what could happen or what did happen. And she thought that that was so horrible that she had to kill Maddox for it. Well, no, but it goes deeper than that. You know, you're talking about the admonition, you know, when the Romulans saw it, I mean, it it led most of them to kill themselves. Well, you know, and it, it, it wasn't that she thought it was bad. It was the meld that O did with her. It implanted the fact that it meant the end of life. And so she kind of found herself at a crossroads. It's not just that it was bad. It's like it was it was humanity ending. It was interesting to me that she, who the whole idea of since her whole life mm-hmm. was something that she wanted to, would not share that with anyone first. Like Picard, who was trying to figure out what was going on. The fact that she kept to herself and then just killed him because she felt it was the right thing to do based on what Commodore O 
implanted in her. It, it just it just sat kind of kind of bad with me. Well, I mean, you don't know that that O Im- implanted the suggestion with the mind meld on purpose. Because and uh, oh, pretty much straight up told her through that that Picard shouldn't be trusted. Yeah. So uh, uh, yes, Agnes is on the hook for for murdering Maddox, but you know she she didn't necessarily do it of her own volition. Mm-hmm. You know she was under duress. Um, it's not like she just made the decision that it was bad and, and killed him, and then decided not to tell Picard. As far as she knew, from the head of Starfleet security, um, Picard was up to no good. Well, she did start foaming at the mouth and put herself into a coma, so I guess it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> the one detail about her that I wish they'd brought out more is that she's a she's a medical doctor, hmm. um, and she was a Starfleet officer who'd never been to space. Yeah. Yep. So I I think th- I would have been nice if they brought out that aspect of the character in the season. I think that was a bit of a miss Maybe because you would have understood a little more about. Agnes Gerardi, yeah. instead of just being the foremost uh, authority on cybernetics on Earth at the time. So, cybernetics. Cybernetics. So, let's talk about Narek and Nerissa real quick. Um, uh, or, you know, the, uh, the space, oh, the Romulanisters. Lannisters. <laughs> yes, very um, nice. Because the one thing they didn't really do that I assumed they would was hook up. Yeah. Because that's really all that was missing from this dynamic, because essentially they were Jamie and Cersei. Yeah. How did you feel about those characters? I wanted Nerissa to die a a horrendous death, one that we'd be talking about forever. Um and she ended up just falling. Um so uh, oh well. She was she was she was a bitch. She was evil. She was not a good woman. She was she was fantastically played by um uh um it's not Peyton. I always want to say Peyton. Um, you never remember the name. I know. It, I know it begins with a P. It's it's Peyton List. <laughs> it is Peyton. I tell you her name every time. I know. So who was I? What was I saying before? I have no idea. I got it right then. Okay, so Peyton. Yeah, and and um, I really, she is, and she's not near the same level. Please don't take it this way. She is the Picard Kai Win. You love to hate her. She is horrible, and you can't stand her. But she's she's a brilliant character. I agree with the brilliant character. I don't see her as Kai Wynn because I don't hate her as much as Kai Wynn. Oh, I, oh no, that's why I say you don't. Um, I don't. I'm not even going to put her anywhere near that level. I, I also don't love to hate her as much as I love to hate Kai Wynn. Oh, okay. Um, I just thought that she was just so. Oh, she was a little more scenery chewing than Kai Wynn was. Um, <clears throat> although I, I I appreciated she didn't have a uh, a jaw dropping death. Because then there would have been the people complaining, well, oh, that's not something that happens in Star Trek. Oh, God. And to some extent, to some extent, they'd be right. It's not, but this is a new Star Trek. Um, Like a guy getting vaporized and a giant alien coming out of his uh, crevice of his chest. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I know. Um, I I didn't mind Narek and Nerissa necessarily. I thought that we didn't necessarily need both of them. Yeah, I don't think we needed Nerissa. I think Narek on his own was fine. I don't know why we needed to introduce Nerissa as part of the conspiracy on Earth, um, because she really only had the one scene on Earth with Commodore O. Yeah, and then she became, then she got her her ears bobbed again. Yeah, so I, 
I, I thought that was a bit of a misstep, but ultimately I, I appreciate the, the job that was done by Peyton List. Uh, I thought that she played the character extremely well. I liked the conflict at the end with her in Seven of Nine. Yeah. Um, I thought that was played really well. And I actually didn't mind her falling uh, to her death because it kind of was reminiscent of the Riemann Viceroy falling to his death at the end of uh, Star Trek Nemesis. When, so. you said, when you said that with a slight pause, I was going to say, Disney? Because all the people, all the Disney villains follow their death. Um, but uh, anyway, you didn't. Oh, see, now the mind's gone. I can't oh, thinking about Oh, wow. They kind of do, don't they? Movies, the villains fall to their death. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Huh. But um, one of the things that maybe why I dislike her is because she killed you. <laughs> that was rough, man. That was rough. Oh, my God. That, that was, was really rough. That was just awful. Yeah. And it was unexpected. You're so excited because you had that reunion in the Impossible Box, which is one of my favorite episodes of the season, which we'll talk about later. But then he's there, he's there, and then he's not. And it's like, what the F just happened? Oh, I have to believe was- this is Star Trek. Even though he's dead, I'm not – there's nothing that says he can't come back um, uh, because he's on an old Borg ship and – Anything can happen. I will be very honest. If they were to somehow bring him back, I would be very disappointed. I wouldn't be. I didn't think we were going to get him the first time, uh, you know, for Star Trek Picard. I mean, even uh, even Jonathan Del Arco th- thinks that it was a great way to wrap up the Hugh story the way that they did. He does, but he's also said anything can happen. <laughs> I so, think he said that in the interview, actually. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's tweeted it, you know, in response yeah. to questions. So, yeah. Um, so what did you think of the overall synth story of this particular season? Um, it clearly was a theme that that lasted from episode one to episode 10. Was it resolved to your satisfaction? Do you like the way it played out? Do you like where it went along the way? Um, I will say I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was odd that they really never gave any indication on what, even though we know that the Romulans caused the attack on Mars, we never found out how they were able to cause the synths to malfunction. Um, I thought that was interesting because they're looking to destroy all life. Wouldn't they just, synth life, wouldn't they just destroy the synth and just, instead of trying to cause a bad, I, don't know, I just thought it was kind of weird. I liked the storyline of the synths. I did think the end with the synth life forms trying to come through the whatever distortion that they, they were, that they sent it was a little odd. It was a little matrixy, and I wasn't sure I liked how they wrapped that up. Um, but for the most part, I didn't have didn't have too many problems with it. How did you feel about Picard's end and then non-end? I didn't have a problem with that. I, okay. I really didn't. I knew it was going to happen as soon as we saw that golem. I'm like, he's going in there because, and that's one of the one of the criticisms that I have of the show is that. We knew at the beginning of the season that he had this condition, which was probably Eremotic Syndrome, because we saw that in All Good Things. And then the whole season, he seemed fine. No problem. You know, he knows he's got it. He's going to have to worry about it. And then the last episode and a half, it starts affecting him so bad that he dies from it. I thought that was a little convenient in the terms of how the story was progressing and where it was going. That being said, as soon as we saw the golem that Dr. Soon was creating that I think he was creating for him. He was. knew that they were going to put Picard in there, and I really didn't have a problem with it. They were able to polish it, not the golem, just polish the story, when he was when he woke up that 
He doesn't have superhuman strength. He doesn't have superhuman anything. He's just a regular person in a synthetic body, and he's got the same amount of lifetime left that he would have if he died of natural causes later down the road. I'm cool with it. He's 96 years old, so uh, that's fine. I didn't. I really didn't have a problem with it. It was, it was kind of like I could see people having a problem with it. I didn't. I, I can respect that. I I wasn't sure I dug it at first. Um, I, I didn't see the point in, in killing him at this point. I thought they would have waited for the end of the series and let him just, you know, come to the end of his existence mm-hmm. as sort of the final chapter of Picard. Uh, and now that I've had some time to think about it, it doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be an effective storytelling device. It allows Picard to grow somewhere yep. and to have some different experiences. I thought the overall synth story for the season was interesting. I appreciated some of the risks they took with it. I didn't necessarily like that the the distortion matrixy thing from the future was a little too reminiscent of Star Trek Discovery. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. um, because enough people are going, oh, see, Control. it's going to yeah. be tied into to Star Trek Discovery. It's like, no, it's it's not. Um, it did. I thought it seemed a little too much like that. And mm-hmm. I think it may have been a little too much too soon after discoveries control storyline personally. Right. Um, but other than that, I, I appreciated that, you know, we discovered, you know, much like data theorized one point in next gen that there's this planet of life forms, just like him out there. And, uh, and, and they have things they want to see and do in the world. I got uh, speaking of that, I got to say one thing. We saw Issa Briones play Soji. We saw her play Dodge. Yeah. And I don't even know what the name of the gold version. And Sutra. Sutra, yeah. I thought that last version, the gold version of her, was awesome. I was I was just blown away by that because she got to play kind of a sinister version. She looked fantastic. I loved the gold, the reminiscent of Data. I thought that was a great callback to an earlier version mm-hmm. of the synths. And I really thought she had a blast playing that character. It was really cool. And there were just subtle nuances between all of them, which I thought that that Isa played in- incredibly well. Yeah. It was just so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think she really was the MVP of the season, honestly, um, from my opinion, because she yeah. did have so many different roles to play, mm-hmm. um, both uh, as an actress and as a character. Yeah, for this to propel the storyline forward. Right. So, right. Um, this is a, and actually, this is playing off a comment I saw on Trek Geeks Picard live during the broadcast this past weekend. Um, was there enough Picard in season one of Star Trek Picard? Because one of the, the, the comments or criticisms that I saw is that there wasn't. What did, what did you think? I think you have to take it knowing that Sir Patrick is 70 something years old. Um, He's not going to be running down the corridors of the Enterprise or of La Serena. Um, and the scenes that he does have, he needs to own. And I don't think you can say that there was any scene that he did not own. I think there was enough of him, especially, you know, um, in that first three chapters uh, that we talked about. He's in, he's in a lot. Um, I I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Trying to think back as quickly as I can about all the different uh, – uh, episodes in the season. I I think there was enough. Um, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I think, I think the whole first series revolves around him and can't occur without him. Mm-hmm. And that to me says there's enough Picard in, yeah. in season yeah. one. 
um, he is the central figure in every single episode. It's not like they did a special flashback that he wasn't in. Right. Um, nothing happens without it being directly tied to something Picard needs to do. Yeah, there are always going to be other characters. Um, he can't, I mean, you, you can't necessarily tell a, a, a creative enough story, which is one guy on the screen 24 seven. There have to be other reasons for him to have motivation to do things. And I thought that the characters they put around him did just that. Um, there had to be that tie to a character like Rafi too, in order to humanize him again and to bring back the Jean-Luc that we knew. Right. And I think that was crucial. I think that is crucial. I think one of the things that was important to the story is the whole story revolves around Picard. The whole story revolves around data as well. Hmm. I am a very strong believer that this first season was Picard, but it was data, even though data was only in a couple of episodes, this was the goodbye that data deserved and didn't get in nemesis. Um, the, the cast of TNG did a wonderful job through the series and through majority of the movies. And then Nemesis came along. And whether you like it or whether you dislike it, I don't think it was the send-off that the cast deserved. And I think that Data dying the way he did always left at least me feeling completely deflated about how, how he died. This was a way to really honor the 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 job that Brent did and the character of Data because it is bookended at the beginning of the series you're seeing Picard dreaming about playing poker with him and at the end of the series which dude totally blew me away did not expect it in any way shape or form to have that final moment with Data where we get to hear Blue Sky sung by Issa have him age in front of our eyes and have him completely shut down forever and and for all intents and purposes has died that was the most remarkable way to say goodbye to a character that I can ever remember seeing in television. I, I agree with that. I, there were some unexpected moments as far as that was concerned. I don't think anybody saw that ending with data coming. Anyone who says they did yeah. is just, is telling a tall tale. I don't believe it for a second. I don't believe it for a second either. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the other ancillary storylines and, and character developments just sort of off the top of our head. Cause we saw a lot this season and I want to focus primarily both on seven and each for a minute. Okay. I don't think anyone expected that each was going to come back in some form. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people were upset that it was not mono into Rame. I personally don't care. Right. Um, some people thought that scene was a little grotesque, but it was appropriate motivation for Seven you know, to commit the kind of revenge that she she felt she had to commit. I'm sorry to sound like a, like a jerk when I said I, I'm so sick of hearing stuff like that. I'll go back to what I said a few minutes ago. Season two of TNG back in 1990 early, like I said... Guys are getting disintegrated. Their entire chest is exploding. There are guts spilling out, and there's a creature crawling out. And as it's crawling out, it's pushing more guts out of the way. There's people being disintegrated. There's gore, and there has been gore in Star Trek forever. Please don't don't take away from what happens in the episode simply because there's some squishy sounds and some blood. It just it takes away so much if you do that. I thought it was important based on what you and you just said it. It's important on the story of Seven and Echeb, and what happened was horrific for him. And it's something that caused Seven to really 
change and go down a dark path. And I think that we needed to see what caused that change in her. And I have zero problem with it. I agree with you entirely. I thought that it was it was necessary in that sense. I thought there were a couple of holes in that particular story. Oh, I think so too. Um, but ultimately, I don't think it was the kind of thing that detracted from what went on. People go, well, Seven murdered somebody in cold blood. Yep, she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And she'd do she it again. And she did. And, and she did. And I will say, one of the things, even though we can talk about that scene and there are holes, God, don't you love some of the things that the writers did throughout this entire season, like mm-hmm. throwing little callbacks, like, where's your nittle, where's your cortical stimuli, your cortical whatever, note. The hell, yep. cortical note, it's got to be in there somewhere. No, he gave it up, remember, no. for seven. He gave it up so for seven. I, I love how they did that, how the um, the Queen's escape thing was from an episode from season one of Voyager um, by the uh, a species that they assimilated, uh, the Borg assimilated. Um, I, I think that stuff like that was great, but... I thought what they did with each of was necessary for us to see, regardless of how gory it was. Let's talk too about the Rafi storyline. I think that Michelle Hurd is probably a, a very close runner up for MVP of season yes. one of Star Trek Picard. Absolutely. Because um, her performance of, of Rafi was was fantastic. I mean, yeah. we got to meet her in Hollywood. Not only awesome. is she awesome. a great embodiment of what Star Trek is mm-hmm. as a person, as an actor, but I thought that she really did do an amazing job on screen with what they gave her to do. Here's a character that is really kind of deploying the first realistic depiction of addiction in the Star Trek universe that we've ever seen and on a relatable scale to what people experience today. Right. The, I, people like, oh, that's not in, that's not Gene Roddenberry Star Trek. Do you think that every single person in Gene Roddenberry Star Trek is happy and had rides a unicorn to work and all this? I mean, there are people that have issues. Did you ever look at the Orion Syndicate and Deep Space Nine or any of these other areas that are dark and are not the Federation and are not Starfleet? Well, we kind of saw bad Starfleet and bad Federation in Picard. It's real life. And I think that they did this in a respectable way that she is someone who has addiction and has to deal with it. And at the same time, it showed, at least in my mind, how people cannot be able to deal with that in a way that they should. And by by that, I mean, I know a lot of people had a problem with it. And I didn't at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I have. I was shocked at how Jean-Luc took advantage of her when she was going through her bender. I was too. Yeah. Um, she they was were in a bad place. She was in a bad place, but I mean, it, it was a desperation move yeah. um, from a guy who was desperate. Yeah. Um, it was the only way they were going to get what they needed. Would the Jean-Luc of Starfleet ever done that? Nope. Nope. Would the Not Jean-Luc of, of that moment do that? Yeah. He would because yeah. he's at a point where he has to do things by any means necessary. I'm sure he's not proud of it. You, know, so you brought up a great point earlier. Let me stop for one second, just to go back to that for just a second. I would think that too, that he wasn't proud of it. But not only did the taking advantage of her during the bender shock me, when he started applauding her really surprised me. That didn't surprise me as much because I think that that was more of a, hey, we made it through. All right, great job. Um, th- that didn't bother me as much. Okay. You mentioned earlier about uh, talking about, you know, people, uh, there must be some people who think that, you know, people in Star Trek ride unicorns to work or whatever. And it brings up a great point is that, you know, the Roddenberry vision, Gene's vision, as as people like to call it, and I use air quotes for that, um, is all very positive and hopeful. But as people have pointed out, and a lot of people on social media who are not named Bill Smith, I'll say that for 
you know, just for the record, you can't have sunlight without shadow. Uh-huh. You can't have a, a big happy world where everyone is, is potentially taken care of because there are always going to be people who fall through the cracks. And that is what Rafi Musiker is about. Yep. She was part of that big, great future where Starfleet did bold, great things to help people. And what happened? She fell through the cracks. She did. And I think that's a very important message, especially for today. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And see, that's another thing that I think the writing staff uh, did so great with season one of Picard is they, as as we've seen in every Star Trek series, they take the issues of the day and they're able to turn them into part of their storytelling. And I think that they did a great job with that. Somebody, I was, we were, we were, um, there was a commercial on TV just yesterday in regards to everybody working at home and the virus that we're dealing with here across the whole planet. And one of the quotes that came up is you can't enjoy the rainbow without dealing with the rain. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's a perfect analogy to what we saw with, with Rafi. You're absolutely right. She fell through the cracks and she was one of the ones that fell through the cracks and didn't get found. And she should never have fallen through the cracks in there. Absolutely should not have. But she did. Yeah. And somebody who knows better than to let that happen was part of the reason she fell through the cracks. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard, yeah. you know, the guy who is more Starfleet than Starfleet at times. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who holds everybody to a higher standard did not hold himself to a higher standard. And I think he feels great guilt about that. I think you are 100% right. So let's talk about overall view of the season. And this is a great time to talk about some of the the reviews from Camp Kittimer, we asked them for one sentence in 10 words or less. What did you think about season one of Star Trek Picard? And we got some really great and interesting answers. Um, I have to say, I'm going to run through a couple of them. And if you want to uh, happen to pull them up and, and mention any that, that, you know, that uh, speak to you, um, you're more than welcome to, but I'm going to, I'm going to run through a few here. Sure. Um, Wyatt Stockdale says, makes me admire Picard even more. Uh, Jonathan Hamilton, uneven at times, but an overall great Trek story. I, I can agree with that. Carl Anderson, three words, a period after each word worth waiting for. Yeah. Um, Daniel Ireland, satisfying end to data story an exciting new chapter for Picard's here, here. Um, uh, Chris Chaplin uh, brought up a really great point. A character study of how marginalized people and groups reclaim their voices. I thought that was really fascinating. I hadn't considered that aspect, mm-hmm. but I have to say, I think he's, he's pretty spot on. What do you think? I agree with that a hundred percent. I love in looking over all of these comments, I love how we can have a, such a diversity of opinion. Um, one one that I that I see our good friend Chris Powers, who was one of the people who won the uh, fan sets yes. set of pins last week, said a wonderful continuation of Trek: The Next Generation's Next Generation. I find that very interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. Um, a, a good a good way to put it. Um, there's a whole lot. Our good friend Debbie uh, Moltisanti, a successful mix of old and new characters joined together to revisit a beloved Jean-Luc Picard. Absolutely. Um, a, a beloved Jean-Luc Picard who we see in a way that we don't expect to see him. And I think that was really uh, interesting. There's some other comments to call out here. Larry Gonzalez, each character was broken, but they helped mend each other. Good Absolutely. Point. Especially yeah. uh, at the end. Um, uh, Rick Tatro, a much needed shakeup to the Trek status quo. Absolutely. And then there are some comments that I, that 
maybe we don't necessarily agree with, but I think are interesting on their own. Uh, our friend David Moss, who, who writes to us uh, so frequently, and we love hearing from him. Great to see our friends back, but loaded with weak writing and so many B-plot holes with a maw, you could fly a dozen starships through it. Wow. I don't necessarily agree with that statement, um, but I, I respect that that's the way he feels. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's opinion is, is there's, there's no need to, to say anything negative about it. There's one here um, by Robert Gagnon that says the best Star Trek since TNG, period. I don't agree with that at all. No, I don't either. Is, is, is definitely uh, uh, um, a better Star Trek. Um, I'm going to put it this way. This is the best season one of a Star Trek series ever, in my opinion. I love it more than any of the season ones of any of the series we've seen so far. I hadn't considered that, but I, I can't, I can't necessarily disagree with you. Um, there, there are holes. Like somebody said, there, there are some plot holes. There are some criticisms, but it does not take away from how amazing the season was for every me. Every Star Trek has plot holes. Every Absolutely. one. Yep. Um, going all the way back to TOS, every There's, single series has had it. There's no perfect television. Well, Breaking Bad, but Breaking Bad, no but television show. <laughs> uh, just a couple more comments from Cam Kittimer. Uh, Mike Coonrad, some great character moments, but ultimately disappointing. Okay. Um, Eddie Friend, a jigsaw puzzle, but only got a few pieces each week. Exactly. I think the opening credits kind of telegraph that yes. uh, very well. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Miner, I had really hoped for something deeper than this. Damn. Okay. Here's one that really stands out with me because it, it goes along with what I was saying earlier. Garrett yeah. Field says, love how they expanded Data's storyline and ended it perfectly. Also how they ended Picard's life, then put his memories into a droid. So yes. The, the data aspect of this series, I think, is what make what may make it over the top the best season one of any series so far. What they did with that story, piece of the story, was just so great. Two more Camp Kittermer comments, and then we'll we'll move on from that. Dave McNulty, unrecognizable to me is my trek. Novels continued it better. I think the novels continued it differently, but I don't think it's unrecognizable as as trek at all. Um, we didn't see Starfleet really in this season um, because this show isn't about Starfleet. It's about Jean Luc right. Picard, and I think that's really the big difference. And then uh, our our dear dear friend Haley Stoddart, um, a brilliant beautiful blend of Trek and current events, and that's pretty much what Star Trek is and always has been. Um, right. So thanks to everyone at Camp Kittimer for taking the time to to leave us their thoughts on Star Trek Picard. Um, we love hearing from everybody, and I it's interesting to see the the, the variety in the comments. I I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love being able to get this difference or all of the different opinions from people coming in one place. So you've done this a few times in Camp Kittimer about about asking people to give their thoughts on particular shows or episodes or, or whatnot. And the response that we get is always just fantastic. So let's talk about, you know, with the time we have remaining, um, what episodes stood out to you? I, I'll admit that I have a hard time picking specific episodes from Star Trek Picard, as I kind of do with Discovery, because it's not episodic in nature. Um, this is my own mental thing to get past, um, because I view um, each season of Discovery and now the first season of Picard as essentially one story or one novel mm -hmm. told in, in this case, 10 chapters. I don't necessarily single out the chapter of a book I'm reading and say, oh, that's the best chapter in the book. Yeah. I look at it in the whole of the story. So yeah. I... Some people say that's a cop-out. I personally don't think it is because it's the way I'm consuming this Star Trek. But I know that you have some thoughts on at least one episode that I know of that you you really thought was fantastic. There's a couple. Um, 
the first one I'm going to talk about is The Impossible Box. Mm. Um, that episode does a fantastic job in showing Picard's fear some 35 years plus maybe since his assimilation by the Borg and knowing that he's going to be inside of a cube. And then we see those reactions. He's kind of losing it. But then we get one of the most amazing reunions that we have ever seen, if not in, in not Star Trek, then ever. And that's the reunion with he and you. Yeah. That was, that hug was unscripted. Um, and reading over some information, they felt that it would be the right thing to do. And it worked perfectly. It was great to see the two of them together. It was so unbearable to see Hugh later get killed. Um, it was just so sad. But I got to say, man, Nepenthe, I think, was the cream of the crop for the season because it brought so much of what people wanted to see. And that was some nostalgia. And they did it in a way without making it a cop out or making it quirky or making it just a fan service. It was integral to the story. I thought I thought Jonathan Frakes was just just at the top of his game after being more than 10 years from being in front of a camera. Uh, Marina was great. Um, and uh, the girl who played their daughter was just phenomenal. First time I, she, she's been in other stuff. I think she was in, uh, oh, she was in some horror. She was in the, um, uh, the house on haunted Hill remake that came out a little uh, series uh, on Netflix last year. I really thought that that was important for the Picard story because you got to see him in a familiar place, kind of like the ready room, having a discussion with his staff. But the staff weren't afraid to give their opinion as, as they were kind of afraid to on TNG. They couldn't really say things full-throated, like like Marina really gives it to him uh, in this. And I really thought that that episode stood out. And even though it may not have been my one of my favorite episodes it wasn't a bad episode but you know the last scene in in season uh, in episode 10 the the whole data part um saying goodbye to data was something that i could just watch over and over again i've listened to isa brionis's blue sky on amazon music about a hundred times <laughs> i want to uh, i want to come back to nepenthe for a second because um i i do think you're right about that i don't think that that episode was fan service in any way i think it was essential to both the plot and Picard. You figure in family, you know, the, the third episode of the Best of Both Worlds trilogy is family. Yeah. And what happens there? Picard goes home because he's broken. Yeah. And he needs somebody to set him straight. And Nepenthe kind of serves a very similar function. Sure. He goes home to family. And what's the only family he has left? It's his old Enterprise crew. And it just so happens that Will and Deanna are there with, with Kestra. And I have to say, by the way, I love the fact that their daughter is named Kestra. Kestra, yeah. Um, Wilson does. I think Lulu Wilson does a great job. Yeah, uh, that just gives me all the feels right there. But yeah, um, and I will say that Marina Sirtis turned in her best performance ever of Deanna Troy, um, it, th- throughout all of Star Trek in that one episode, because it's a very different Deanna Troy, but it is one that is informed by everything that has happened before, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it showed a real growth in that character. And I got to say my hat's off to Marina for, for what she did on the screen because it was, it was legendary. It really was great. They, both of those characters gave such importance. And I'll tell you again, 
I did not expect to see Riker. Well, I shouldn't say that. Riker said he was still in reserves at the end of that episode. I really didn't think we would see him again in season one, but to see him in the finale was pretty awesome. See him in uniform and and being able to to wear through playing with these bastards type attitude as he was given a Commodore O. So I really thought that was great. Um, <laughs> did you know? Just a little side trivia thing, which yeah. I think is amazing. The house that Deanna, Will, and Kestra live in is the house from movies such as The Great Outdoors, that log cabin in uh, in uh, Universal Studios. Yeah, and it's it's on the Universal backlot, which we were um, <laughs> very very close to staying at the hotel right next to Universal Studios. Yeah. Uh, yep. And we had no idea. No idea at all. Yep. <laughs> yep. I think no, that that's fantastic. Um, I Any for you? Uh, as far as episodes, it's like I said, I, I, yeah. I don't... Yep. I didn't see that season this way. Yeah. I can think about something in each episode that I truly loved. Yeah. Uh, like you, you brought up Nepenthe and the whole dynamic with Troy having that conversation with Picard about how she, she's not bold anymore. Yeah. That's not who she is now mm-hmm. because she can't afford to be. I just uh, instant waterworks. Yep. Um, there is something in every episode that is, is is amazing as far as character development. And I think that's why I enjoyed the first season as much as I did. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I also love that their their son, it was interesting to hear that they had a son who had died from something that they could have saved him if they had allowed since. That was interesting that it was a, was it a silicone based disease? I forget what it was, but, but if they were, if they were allowed to have sense, they could have saved him and that they named him Thad. <laughs> I know. Is, yeah, I don't know if they named him after our friend Thad or after you know Civil War Riker. I'm pretty sure it was Civil War Riker, <laughs> but I have a feeling that uh, um, I'm okay with the other explanation too. Yeah, me so. too. <laughs> so, Dan, final thoughts on Star Trek Picard season one? Um, I, I can imagine you're going to be all there for season two. It would take an act of God for you to not be at this yeah, point. Absolutely. Um, somebody said it. It was worth the wait. It was. Since that first moment that Sir Patrick walked on stage at STLV to the premiere that we got to uh, see together in Hollywood, worth the wait. And the 10 episodes were phenomenal. Anybody who has a problem with this not being Star Trek doesn't know what Star Trek is, period. There is no discussion there. That's it. Yeah, You're just not liking it because you want to be a jerk. Because this is Star Trek in every essence of what Star Trek is supposed to be about. And people say that there wasn't hope in this Star Trek. And I've called BS on that from day one because Picard himself was the hope. Picard himself was the optimism. And I said this before the series even started um, on this podcast. And also I said it at the premiere um, is that Picard was going to drag the characters back to the hope and idealism of Star Trek and the Federation. And hey, guess what happened? That's exactly what happened. Yep. Um, that by the end of season one, we would see that tonal shift because that's what the events called for. Right. Um, I, I hate saying I'm right, but on this one, I'm kind of happy that I'm right because uh, it tells us that there are still ideals worth fighting for. And in the case of Jean-Luc Picard, there are ideals worth dying for. Now, with what I just said, I want to make it clear. We've read some comments from people in Camp Kenmore that don't agree that it was great show and don't agree that yeah. it's great star trek i'm not talking about these people because no, these people no. can have a respectable opinion about it and they don't have a problem saying why i'm talking about just the people with the bullhorns who want to be jackasses on twitter and and on facebook those are the people i mean so folks on camp Kittimer who may have said they didn't care for it i don't mean you 
Trust me. I didn't care for Voyager for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And now I do. Mm-hmm. Um, dis, uh, 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 we're not talking and, about simple disagreement like that. People can like or not like whatever they want to. It's it's the the the, the YouTubers and and the loudmouths that right. that have uh, their their microphone and their small audiences and think that they're authorities on everything that that exactly. you're talking about. Yeah. So, well, Dan, I can. T- I'd like to talk about some other people with microphones. They who are the band Five Year Mission. Ah. We love everything that they do, uh, including their podcast on this very fine podcast network, which, believe it or not, is called Five Year Mission. The podcast. Did you know that? That's that's pretty creative. I gotta say. Uh, I like I'm glad their songwriting's a little better than their <laughs> podcast episode titles. Actually, I created the name for the podcast, but that's just me. Well, there you go. Um, <clears throat> but. Uh, Obviously, they are every bit of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast and and on many shows on the network. And we want everyone within the sound of our voices to go to fiveyearmission.net, get all their albums, put them in your hands, become huge fans of the band because we are ourselves, um, because we guarantee you're going to love them, Dan. It's a guarantee that I can guarantee uh, you should guarantee people about, right? Right. Anyway, um, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So we've been talking about it for the last hour and a half, actually, almost. Um, Star Trek Picard. What an amazing first season, man. It was awesome. But there was one episode that really uh, stuck out for me, I got to say. No, really. You remember this one. Yeah. Picard finally reached the board cube, or the artifact, as it was called. And he had to deal with those inner demons of being Locutus. He saw several XBs, that is, ex-band members, and it really shook him to the core. But then he was reunited with his old band manager, Hugh, and that helped put him at ease. But the Romulans had other plans for any reunion concert tour, my friend. They were out for blood and the annihilation of she who is called the Destroyer. It's Star Trek Picard, Episode 6, The Impossible Farks. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Wait. (laughs) There used to be a time when you tried a little bit with these. Wow. And I see that day has long since passed us by. XBs. Um, Episode six. That's, you know, I, you. I think you, you're just, you. I think you're trying to come up with new ways for me to say that's the worst one yet. <laughs> and that's the worst one yet. Wow. Really? Is, you serious? Yeah. Wow. That's sad. That's just, that's pathetic and weak, much like you. <laughs> <laughs> and on that happy note uh please fiveyearmission.net go get all their albums please just trust us dan's terrible farkism aside just trust oh. us on the music it's yeah, I mean, awesome of course we want to remind everyone uh listening you can support the trek geeks podcast network via patreon there you can see the new designs for both our annual supporters pin and annual t-shirt for 2020 as well as get unedited audio of all of our podcasts along with some additional perks dan Absolutely. We also want to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. Thank you, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, Jamie McGregor, and you know you want to hear it. You know what's coming right now. It is. And the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I laugh more at the way you get close to the microphone and say it. Um, yeah, like it's this big spectacle. 
Well done. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support, and they are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. Dan, next week, we're going to need a whole lot of Kleenex for this one. <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. I will be. I will be. Yeah, we definitely are going to need some Kleenex, man. You don't need to be a Betazoid to know that Star Trek has always generated strong feelings. And next week, we just might need a good long cry. Plus, this time it won't be because of the sound of Bill's voice. So we've got that going for us. Uh, We're going to look at Trek's best tearjerkers over the years next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the podcast network for your fandom. Wow. That's, oh, man, it's going to be emotional. I, so many great moments to look at. So many tears. Te- oh. <laughs> uh, Dan Davidson behind a microphone. <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in Sleepless in Seattle, you know, where they're talking about, um, uh, oh, God, what's the movie? Um, I'm not a fan of that movie, so I don't know. I've only seen it once. Uh, the, it's, uh, it's, no, Dirty Dozen. <laughs> you got Lee Marvin, you got Richard Jekyll up on top of that armored personnel carrier. Oh my God. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot like that. We're going to be two blubbering messes by the time we're through with the episode next blubbering week. Blubbering is not dangerous. <laughs> we're going to be blubbering messes by the time that episode comes out next week here on Trekking. So, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. And don't forget, you can hear the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network pretty much wherever you get podcasts in your ears. And we hope you'll check them all out. For now, this has been episode number 214 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut! Coconut! Because it was no longer coconut! Well, you just went through like three iterations of that i'm guessing you had nothing ready i didn't I, dude i haven't had nothing ready for like the last year i just do it off the top of my head one year more like five <laughs> music for trek geeks is provided by five-year mission they're writing one song for each episode of the original series download their music at fiveyearmission.net trek geeks a star trek podcast is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong! We actually could do bing bong this week. I know. Because last week we were live. You screwed me up bad. I didn't know what to do. I t- <laughs> There was a big sign on the screen that says, outtake coming up, don't go anywhere. I know. And you knew it was going to happen. I know. But it was it was the first time in 213 episodes that we, well, we haven't done Big Mox that long, but you know what I mean. It's a, it's a live, it was a live broadcast, dude. It's, you had to prepare yourself for anything. You can still say it. I mean, I'm just happy that nobody could tell you weren't wearing pants that broadcast. I, that's, well, yeah, that's all right.
<laughs> I might not be wearing them now. Hey, well, I know you. You're probably not. Um, I'd just be happy if you put something on a towel, bathrobe, <laughs> anything, because yeah. it's a little distracting. Yeah, well, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. So how yeah. are you? I'm I'm okay. I've had a couple of down days recently. Uh-huh. Um, just where the uh, the rain didn't help. I got to tell you, oh, the sunny days the are wind. are my friend. You know, because I can get out there, I can do stuff, I can take I take Abby on a nice long walk. Abby doesn't like to go out in the rain. And like, she will go out, do her business and come straight back in. That's a uh, lot more than Callie will do. Callie will yeah. go to the door, look at him and be like, uh-uh. Nope. Um, but uh, really, you know, super heavy, rainy days like the one we had on uh, Monday, I think it right. was. Monday. I don't even, the only t- time I know what day it is, is when I'm taking Abby's medicine out of her pill organizer. Um, otherwise I would not know what day it is. Or when we record. What day, is it Tuesday? It is Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the other day I had a down day. Um, and I just, I, I just really could not muster the wherewithal to care about anything. I'm doing better today, Good. but it, it happens like that. It'll be like a one day thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh. Uh, thank, uh, you guys did awesome on Picard the other night. Uh, thank I'm you. sorry that I was not there. Uh, huge thanks to Dan Garcia for filling in for me. But, um, Sunday was one of the worst nights I've had in years. Yeah. It was awful. So, um, I'm better now, uh, feeling great and, uh, looking forward to, uh, to a good week. Yeah. Well, you know, is that sage and wise observer of our times, Kelly Clarkson once mm. observed, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Oh, that's true. Remember that commercial she was in with Chris Berman with that song? No. It was a car commercial, I think. Yeah, oh, it was a car, Ford commercial. vaguely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they used a couple of her songs in those commercials. Because didn't they use My Life Would Suck Without You or something like that yeah, as well? I don't know. I would say that My Life Would Suck Without You. Um, I just don't want to make that strong a statement. Wow, that's like, hey, look at what I got. Um, this is the first time I've used this glass since you gave it to me. I know the Gorn Tiki glass. Yes. Nobody else can see it, by the way. Yeah, we 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 got them, and I was very excited. And then we put them away to use after we got all moved in. But we put them up on the top shelf and never used them. So tonight, when I made Matt McGonagall, when I made Dole Whip, um, I put it in this glass, thinking of Matt. And what does the Dole Whip have in it? It has Dole and Whip. And what else? No, it's got ice cream. No, it's no, no. You, you're missing. I'm, get, I'm getting to it. Okay. Ice right. cream, pineapple, pineapple juice, and f- uh, a whole bunch of coconut vodka. You said it wrong. Coconut. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to set you up with the brand, I'm dude. Sorry, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. There you go. It's funny, it's funny because Shashank sent me a message a couple of weeks ago. It says, why Why is it Coconut Media Works? <laughs> I'm like, dude, you, you've been on the network for a year. You're just getting around to this? <laughs> well, it's a shock. No, oh. I know. I know. And he's probably listening to this. And he, yeah, I know and he is. That's why. And I, I jo- I, we joked about it, but um, yeah. he just, he, he, he was talking in jest and I was responding in kind. There you go. So. You're, he's a jester, isn't he? Although the the really funny part is, is I truly detest the taste of coconut. Oh, I know you do. Who is it that came up with the name Coconut Media Works? That would be you. That'd be me. Yeah. Yeah. You took what you dislike the most, but one of the fun parts of the show, and you incorporated into our 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 partnership for all time. Dude, I did that in creating a podcast with you. (laughs) 
I took something I detested the most. <laughs> there you go. And I embraced the suck. There you go. Oh, that's what we could do a whole podcast on that. And embrace the suck episode on you. <laughs> <laughs> Embracing the suck, Dan Davidson. That would be the roast of Dan Davidson for charity. Yes. That's what that would be. We would raise five whole dollars. I was going to say we would raise tens of dollars. <laughs> and it would probably be me donating it. <laughs> my wife would feel bad for me. She'd give me like fuck. <laughs> no, she wouldn't. I want my $2. <laughs> she'd want to, she'd probably want the largest time slot. No, actually she probably wouldn't. To roast you. I, you no, know. She'd, no, she'd just sit there in the back and smile and nod at all the things that people are saying. All the true things. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Every, why, wow. There's a lot of... Huh. Okay. <laughs> you, you haven't seen as, as much of The Office as, as I have, right. but there's a great episode uh, later on in, in a later season called Crime Aid. I think it's called Crime Aid. Where um, the office gets robbed, and Michael decides to have a a a roast of him. Uh, actually, no, it's not the crime aid episode. It's uh, it's it's a different one. But anyway, Michael decides to have a roast of himself to make everybody else feel better, and he does not respond to it well because people keep coming up with stuff that is is funny, but just a little too close to home. Uh, nice. um, but you know, he's got a thin skin anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, kind of like a certain podcast right now. You know what show I've been binging lately? Binging. On CBS All Access. CBS. CBS All Access. It's on. Um, SEAL Team. You were telling me about this. Yeah. I'm really impressed by SEAL Team because it doesn't look cheesy. You know, like the A-team looked cheesy in the 80s because yep. it was five guys and a giant machine gun and there were never any bullet holes and nobody ever got shot. Never watched that show once. Uh, the A-team? Never watched a single minute of that episode of that series ever. Really? Yep. No well, interest at all. I mean, it's classic, but I'd like to say you didn't miss much. Yeah. So you didn't miss much. Okay. Um, SEAL Team almost, uh, there's got to be a bunch of money dumped into that show because it looked, it, there's a realism about it that is just, it's amazing. Even the location work is fantastic. And I'm sure there's a lot of CGI to enhance those locations, but um, it's a great series. CBS has, has come out with some good shows uh, recently, I would say. Um, that, I think, one of the, was it The Good, not The Good Wife, but the one after it. The Good Fight. The Good Fight. Which is a, which is a spinoff. Good, yeah. Um, or a sequel series, yeah. We're still, we're still binge watching. Well, not binge watching because we, we purposely only watch an episode a day. Um, it was, we're still on, on, uh, Grimm. We're on season five. And the one that we watched last night, Annalie Culpepper, directed by. She's awesome. She, she's everywhere. She's so great. She yeah. is everywhere. She directed an episode of SWAT earlier this season. Yep. And I'm like, oh, hey, I know that name. Yep. I've talked to her. Yes. Aha. Um, so that was, it was really cool. So, cool. Uh, but yeah, if you're, if people are looking for recommendations of things to binge and you still are, or your CBS All Access subscription is still uh, active. Mm -hmm. uh, SEAL Team has just finished season three and all episodes are available in CBS All Access. It stars uh, David Boreanaz from uh, Angel and, and Buffy and also Bones. That, Bones with you know, C. No, no Z. Oh, sorry. Did you know Bones ran for 10 years on Fox? That was a long time. I had no idea. Yep. Because I never watched it. I never watched that either, ever. Um, but ever. it's it's actually a really great series. You know what I want to watch again from season you? one all the way through twenty four. 
Somebody else brought that up on Twitter tonight. Um, I, I, I saw a 24 episode recently and I don't think it held up. Oh, really? <laughs> At least the earlier seasons. I haven't um, watched it in a long time. I own them all on DVD. I just haven't watched it. Same, same. I don't own the last season, like the the, the twelve the, the twelve mm-hmm. episode season. Yep. The uh, yep. the live another day or whatever it was. Yes. And I don't own the the reboot season. Okay. Um, the other twelve episode season with mm-hmm. the new star. With the guy from uh, Star Wars. I don't. Was that the same guy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty sure. Are you sure? I don't think it was. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty add, sure. You do. You talk. I'll check. Or or I'll or I'll talk and you check it. See what right now, everybody. If, if you listen closely, you can hear Bill typing on his keyboard. Take it, take it, take it, take it. I finished typing like about 15 seconds ago. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking I about. I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, was it Poe or Finn? Finn? Poe? No. It yeah. would have been Finn. Finn. Uh, he was, it was in it, but I don't think he was the star. Oh, okay. I thought he was. I know he yeah, was in he twenty. Was. He was in twenty four. Live another day. Ah, ah, that was the last Kiefer Sutherland season. Yeah, there was. Wait a minute. There was a season that wasn't Kiefer Sutherland. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The new star. I don't even know what. Which that also was. starred uh, someone who was African American. I don't remember that series at all. What was it called? Twenty uh, five. You're such an idiot. <laughs> oh, it could have been twenty six. It could have been on Bajor. You're you're a moron. What's it called? Twenty six. Wow, I didn't say it like that. Uh, you, you should have. It probably would have been better off that way. Um, oh my goodness gracious! I I don't I don't know. I can't. That's all right. We don't I, have to worry about it. It's twenty. It's, you know, you know, twenty four might come back. I heard so. I don't know. I I'm done. I I'm done with it. I am watching um, uh, Designated Survivor. I'm almost done season two right now, and there's another season after that. I broke I'm up with. It. I broke up with Designated Survivor. Um, in season two, yeah, it was not great. It. It's not uh, awesome. It's not great. The the uh, second twenty four series was called Twenty Four Legacy. It only ran for one season. Was that the one? That wasn't the one episode one, was it? No, no, it was a twelve episode season. Huh. Okay. Starred an actor named Corey Hawkins in the lead role of huh. Eric Eric Carter. No clue. I I figured you would say that. I it's amazing because I thought I would. I would uh, like that one. It it was it was okay. I didn't realize it was only going to run for twelve episodes, and then when it was done, I'm like, oh wait a second, that's it. I thought it was tw- when they call the series twelve. Wait a minute, it does, that looks familiar. I'm looking at the cover, and that does look familiar, but I don't remember any of it, so it must not have been very good. And it premiered after the Super Bowl on Fox that year. Yeah, they used to do that a lot. Huh. Okay. Well, anyway, all right. So, well, anyway, now that we've talked about uh, everything else other than Star Trek, are you ready to talk about some Star Trek? I am ready to. T- what are we talking about tonight? All right, Star, S- Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. It's a new show. Maybe you've heard of it. I'm, it's possible. I know we spend so much time talking about the Orville that uh, it's rare that we talk about Star Trek. Here we go. Thank you.